Downloads of the show are available at Podomatic.com or the Podomatic mobile app. Hey, kids, you are listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and this show is Fish Out of Agua with Michelle Carlo. Today is Tuesday, May 29th, 2018. Oh, my God, it's summer. And we're going a bit around the world here today with our show and our interview. I can't wait to share our guest artist with you. So let's get dancing and let's get started. Summertime in New York City. That was Fresh 
fierce and fabu Japanese pop group, The Pizzicato Five, with Twiggy Twiggy versus James Bond from their 1991 album, This Year's Girl. And our guest artist this week is kind of this year's girl. I can't wait to introduce her to you a little bit later, but let's first play one of the songs that she handpicked to open her episode. And it's also a little bit of a love letter to her hood. was Terry Garage, otherwise known as Guyana Babu, with his Richmond Hill uh, Little Guyana from his Summer Jam Mix album, which I think came out in 1997. I tried to wiki him while the song was playing, and oh my god, like I had no idea that there were two um, music genres called chutney and soca that were really popular among the Guyanese, Trinidadians, and other West Indians. Was not so up on that. Like, I know about Bombay dub orchestra, but this is just like slamming. Anyway, I'm so happy to have been introduced to this fabulous new artist that I'm definitely going to be listening to on my own time. But now, haha kids, it's time for my favorite part of the show. Whoa, whoa.
everybody! Welcome to Fish Out of Agua's Guest Artist of the Week! Woohoo! Today I am sitting with someone who's not an artist per se, but she's an artist facilitator. She's an artist activist. She's an artist encourager. She is just all around behind the scenes of the art. Everybody, welcome to Fish Out of Agua to a fantastic producer and founder of the Five Borough Story Project, Bridget Bartolini. Thank you so much for having me. Was that an accurate um, introduction for you? I really liked that introduction, but after a long time of um, questioning, I have come to identify as an artist. You have? Yes, a socially okay. engaged artist. Okay. Yeah. I, and I, that's why I was saying an artist enabler. Mm -hmm. That's kind of, yeah, did I, I say that? I really and, liked that. Yeah. yeah, you're an artist enabler because you know, you're not actually in front of the mic on stage. You're doing mm -hmm. everything that's behind the scenes, more of like a producer, but yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, my artistic practice is more like creating spaces for other people to be creative, but that in itself is a very creative process. Yes, it is, and we will get to that shortly. So, Bridget, I ask everyone this question at, at the beginning of our time together. How and where did we meet? We met, um, I think it was 2010 or 2011. Yes. When I was in graduate school, and I was interning at the Bronx Museum of the Arts, and they gave me an opportunity to um, put my ideas that I was coming up with as a student into practice and start a new public storytelling program at the museum called Bronx Stories. Yes, I remember that. And I knew of Rick Patrick and Will Lee and their amazing program Talking Stick that they were doing at the Rubin Museum because I was also interning at the Rubin Museum. We um, were starting a program that would have people telling stories about the Bronx and also stories connected to the art in the museum, which is what Talking Stick was doing. Right. So um, we were working with Will and Patrick, and they were like, okay, we know all these Bronx storytellers, and the person they were like most enthusiastic about, like, you have to have Michelle Carlo. Oh, really? Yes. Oh my god, I didn't so, even know that. Yeah. But right now I want to talk a little bit about your origins. I could tell by your voice there's only one place where you could have grown up, and that is New York effing city. <laughs> Hell yeah. So tell us about uh, where you're from. Well, where I'm from is a really big part of my story of my trajectory as an artist, actually. So I grew up in South Richmond Hill, which is in Queens, at the second to last stop on the A train to Lefferts. And it was a really wonderful place to grow up. And I was in a family that was exceptionally good at keeping it local because both my mom and dad were born in Richmond Hill. Oh, wow. They both grew up on 117th Street, like a few avenues apart from each other. And they met, they went to different high schools, but like they met when they were in high school, like from hanging out in the same schoolyards. Hanging out in the schoolyard. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, so they were high school sweethearts. Mm. So you grew up in an Italian-American household? Yeah, my dad's, both of his parents came from Italy. My mom's dad came from Italy when he was very young, and her mom's family was from Ireland. So you're like second generation then, I guess more yeah. or less. Yeah, and on the, the Irish side was in New York. Right, because both that. your parents were born here. Yeah. So when you were growing up, um, usually when someone is an artist, I ask them if they came came from an arts-oriented or education-oriented family, but since your trajectory has been more 
I guess education oriented. So what were you like when you were a child? Hmm. Okay. So my family was not like into the arts and education. Uh, we're a working class family. Um, my mom's a nurse. My dad was a postal worker. He sorted mail. Um, I know that I had like my grandpa's brother was an artist. He was a painter and like he would draw. But I think that was like the only artist in our family, as far as I know. My family did value like things like going to a museum and like going to concerts and like enjoying the cultural offerings in New York City. And as a kid, my mom really, really loves reading and she instilled a love of reading in us. So like she, my mom still like goes to the library every week and like takes books out and yeah, I was this really dorky kid who loved reading and I was very quiet, very, very shy. I was not a performer at all. Now you're a twin also. Yes. Was your twin sister the more outgoing one or were you both introverted and nerdy? We were both, yeah, quiet, nerdy, shy kids. <laughs> yeah. Did you go to public school? Did you go to mm -hmm. Catholic school? I went to public school. PS 108, represent. Woo! So are, are you a total proud product of the New York City public school system? Oh, yeah. Yeah? I am, and especially that proud part. I feel like... <laughs> well, me too. Yeah. Well, I have to say, for high school, I went to Stuyvesant High School. So it was a public school, but it's like a really special public school yes. that like gets way more resources than yeah. it's other a, It's schools. a specialized high school. Yeah. And what was that experience like for you? Um, it was a very eye-opening experience because that was my first chance to like really get to know the broader city outside of my own neighborhood of Richmond Hill. Richmond Hill was like really my world when I was a kid and I loved it and like my life was basically defined in the circumference of a few blocks and I knew my neighborhood so well. It is known, okay, it's super, super diverse. Like yeah. when my grandparents moved there in the 1950s, it was like mostly German and Jewish, and they were among like the first Italians who moved there. Then it became very Italian. And then, you know, there are like always different waves of immigrants. Um, when I was growing up, it was just on its way to becoming Little Guyana. Ah. So there's like people, you know, my friends in elementary school, just in my, in my class, they were people from everywhere, like from Bangladesh to the Philippines, to Hong Kong, to Puerto Rico. But it is really like an Indo-Caribbean neighborhood. So a lot of people from Guyana, Trinidad, and Tobago. And yeah, it is little Guyana. And Guyanese people around the world all know Richmond Hill. Like I've met Guyanese people in London and I'm like, I'm from Richmond Hill. And they're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. So I grew up like in um, this neighborhood that was really Caribbean and also Indian influences. So like there's always in the summertime like people like so much of life moves into people's backyards mm -hmm. and like there's just music filling the air all the time and it's like soca reggae calypso chutney and there's like walking down oh so i grew up right around the corner from liberty avenue so the a train in that part of queens goes down liberty avenue and yeah right around the corner from the train like liberty avenue is such a big part of my life and it's really Interesting, because it's a neighborhood where there's still a lot of mom-and-pop shops. Yay, and the gentrification has not hit it yet. Yeah, knock on wood. Knock, like, on, knock on my, I'm, knock, I'm knocking on my head. Yeah, it's a neighborhood where there's no Starbucks. Oh, wow. <laughs> there never will be. Um, but yeah, there's like, it's a really like colorful, vibrant neighborhood, especially in the summertime. So, okay, so 
your neighborhood is just sounds so quintessential, like old school New York in the best possible way. Mm -hmm. So when you went to Stuyvesant, did you have a culture shock? I did have culture shock because, oh my God, this school is so different from the school that I had gone to. I remember in the summertime, like walking up six flights of stairs and like being sweaty and sitting in like these hot classrooms and Stuyvesant has escalators and it has air conditioners and um and it was a beautiful at that time new building so it had all these amenities that most public schools don't have and um like they had you know labs for science class that had like bunsen burners and all this equipment that like my peers knew what they were but i had never seen them before my classmates like most of the students at stuyvesant came from very different backgrounds than i did so economically yeah so Part of me being rebellious was like rejecting this kind of um, work ethic or like sensibility at Stuyvesant that like studying in grades is the most important thing in life. And mm. I didn't think that. You know, before I went to Stuyvesant, I never heard of I never heard of Stuyvesant before I took the entrance exam. I, my parents didn't know about it. A teacher was just like, "You should take this exam because like you're smart." And so I did, and then I got in. And then when I got there, it, the culture shock was like these people who had been like preparing and like there were so many such high stakes, like they had to like pass the test. And I was like, oh, like I didn't even study for it. I passed because I was a dorky kid who loved to read. Who loved to read. Shout out to the public libraries. Woo! But, the public libraries. So, oh, wait, you, wait, wait. So when I went to Stuyvesant, because of my background, like going to a regular New York City public school, I didn't know a lot of things that other people knew. I had never studied a foreign language. I had to take a remedial math class because I didn't know the math that all the other students knew. So yeah. how, how do you think you, it would have been different had you gone to the um, neighborhood high school in Queens? Uh, well, my neighborhood high school has a big problem with violence. My zone school was John Adams. And my friends who went there told me like I would have been jumped every day. I don't know how that would have been. You know, I could say this as someone who went to a high school where getting jumped was a regular part of uh, the culture. Not that I got jumped every day, but I got mm -hmm. jumped enough. Believe me, it, I wonder sometimes what it would have been like to go to a school where that would not have been an yeah. issue for me. Yeah, because when you're in a different school, mindset, you're you're in a siege mentality a lot of the time. Yeah, like how can you be learning when you're worried about your safety? Mm. I'm really glad that I did go to Stuyvesant because I met like lifelong friends. Um, I did get a good education. I was no longer able to like get A's without studying. Was safe and sheltered, and yeah, you didn't have to worry about problems that a lot of students do. So, have was it always a given that you were going to go to college? Yeah, I guess so. So my sisters and I were the first people in our family to go to college. And I guess... Was she in Stuyvesant with you? No. My older sister went to Hunter. My twin, That's fancy. Yeah, and my twin went to Bronx Science. Ooh. So we all went to... Specialized high schools. School. Yeah. And actually, although we all went to different high schools, we all ended up at the same college. Interesting. Yeah. So, so tell us about that. Our, my twin and I have an older sister who's just a year and a half older than us, and she was only one year ahead of us in school. And she was a really interesting person who always sought out unusual things. So she would like expose us to like different music and cool things happening in New York City. And then, so I feel like it's just typical of her that she found this college, Oberlin College. Oberlin! Yeah. I've heard of it. It's a very small liberal arts school in Ohio. It's surrounded by cornfields. 
Um, it's super liberal, like obnoxiously liberal. Is it as obnoxiously liberal as Antioch? I think they're very similar. Ah, yes, okay. I would say yes. Without knowing much about Antioch, I think they have similar. Yeah. A friend of a friend of ours that we have in common, Robin Beatty, went to Antioch. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and they're both in Ohio. Yep. So yeah, probably pretty similar. So at Oberlin, um, did you have another culture shock there again? Going coming from New York to the cornfields of Ohio. Michelle, I had such culture shock. Yes. <laughs> A big thing, yeah, going from a city to such a small place. Oberlin is the name of the college and also the name of the town. And the downtown is so cute and charming, and it's like two blocks long, and it's like there's one of everything you need. Like there's one general store, one supermarket, one movie theater, one bookstore, and it's like so quaint. Um, and it's, it's a, like a beautiful campus with lots of like greenery and trees and stuff. Um... But my first two years there, I really enjoyed it because everything was new and exciting. I was like, nature, kegs, house parties. Oh <laughs> like God. Cows. Yeah. Oh, there weren't cows. Oh, okay. There were Amish people who would, like, come and sell their pies and stuff. So it was really different. And kind of, like, similar to how, like, when I went to Stuyvesant, it let me, like, meet people from all over the city. When I went to Oberlin, I met people from all over the country. So my best friends were like from Kansas and Iowa. And then I went and visited those places. So that was really cool. That must have been an eye opener. Yeah. For a little girl from Richmond Hill, Queens. Oh, definitely. But I think the biggest culture shock for me was like how white it was. And but that's what the middle of the country is. Yeah. And Oberlin is definitely way more diverse than like the state of Ohio. You know, it's like a special place in that way. But yeah, it's so not diverse compared to where I came from. And yeah, so many white people. Okay, and like going to Ohio, it was the first time I met people who, like if you ask them what they are, they're just American. Like they're not hyphenated Americans. I know, just like, like with white us, Americans. when you say, what are you? You say, well, Irish I'm and Italian and Irish, yeah. I'm Korean and Greek, I'm, yeah. ja I'm Japanese and, and uh, French or whatever. Uh, yeah. But these people, so many people, like, they didn't keep track of it, and they are like, it doesn't matter, I'm American. Yeah, and, and then for some, someone who's, like, first or second generation, yes, it does matter, because you're only, like, like 40 years or 50 years removed from wherever your parents escaped from. Yeah, and I think in or, New York... Or moved from, maybe, that's not always an escape. Yeah, in New York, so many of us are recent immigrants, or, like, you know, family members who are still alive are immigrants, and... We really keep track of those things. And I felt like it felt so sad to me that, like, they had lost that family heritage. Hmm. It's interesting um, because most, you would think that most people would come from homogenization to diversity and they would have culture mm -hmm. shock that way. But from someone who grew up in diversity to encounter that kind of homogenization, mm -hmm. that really must have been an, a weird eye opener. Yeah. But while I was there, yeah. That, I remember that feeling of, like, in the beginning feeling quite uncomfortable, but I got over it, and I made friends. But so, I have to say, like, the people who I kept in touch with from college, like, I keep in touch with way more friends from high school than friends from college. And the people who I kept in touch with are mostly other New Yorkers. Interesting. Yeah. Of course. I'm, I'm sorry. I have to, like, pride <laughs> over here. I have, I, have to, I have to have the pride. Of course, pride, pride, pride. Mm. So, um, what what was you what were your studies in? Ah, uh, so when I was in high school at Stuyvesant, actually, a cool thing about Stuyvesant was that 
they offered like a lot more interesting electives. And I started studying Japanese when I was in high school. Really? Yes. Wow. And another cool thing about Stuyvesant and an example of how it like widened my world view was that, um, so I was studying Japanese and the teacher told us about a scholarship for New York City public school students who are studying Japanese to go and spend a summer in Japan. So I did that. Um, wow, I, you went to Japan? Yeah. For how long? And, uh, I don't remember how long it was. It was like right after my senior year of high school and maybe for like two months or maybe shorter. I don't remember. That's cool. Yeah, it was cool. And I didn't consider like international travel to really be something that I did because my family didn't travel. Like it was just something that we couldn't afford. But then I got a scholarship and like went to Japan for free. And I was like, this is amazing. So that was a really incredible and influential experience for me, like going abroad. And of course I had studied Japanese in, for two years in high school before I went. So I could hardly like put a sentence together <laughs> when I went there, um, but I loved it. I had an amazing time. And then when I went to college, I was like, I don't know what I want to study. Japanese is my favorite subject, so I majored in East Asian Studies. That's what your degree is in? Yeah, I got a degree in East Asian Studies with concentration in Japanese language. Wow, and, and what, what did you think you were going to do with that when you graduated? Honestly, oh, I was like, I didn't think about my future. If I had thought about my future, I probably would have done a double major with East Asian Studies and something else that's more practical. Because um, yeah, I thought you were going to say education. No. Like knowing you as I, as I know you mm -hmm. now, I, I would have I sworn that you had been an education major. Hmm. Well, then I got my master's in community education. Ah, okay. That. So um, what made you decide to go to grad school? Um, well, that's a long story. Well, so quick, after, quick, quick story. After um, I graduated, I got a fellowship and I went to Japan. Right. So it was a fellowship to promote cross-cultural understanding between the U.S. and Asia. And I was sent to work at a university in Tokyo, but mostly I was teaching English. <laughs> oh, that's great. So it was a two-year fellowship. It was a really incredible experience. And um, then I got a job in a Japanese company, and I was working as a study abroad advisor at a big company that's known for it's like travel guides so it's kind of like the lonely planet of japan and that was really fun and it was quite a different experience going from like working in a university with a bunch of foreigners to working in a japanese company because you may have some ideas of what japanese companies are like there's like totally a workaholic culture where like yeah. people's lives revolve around work it's like mandatory to like work overtime and then go out drinking with coworkers. like going out drinking is that the part of your job. Yeah. Um, so and then you're going out and getting trash and then having to be at your desk bright and early the next morning mm -hmm. and it starts all over again. Yeah, so it's like this brutal work culture. Um, but I was the first foreigner that was hired by this company. So I, wow. like, they had different expectations from me than they did from other people. So that was kind of cool. Um, so I worked there for one year. And then I always knew that I wanted to come back to New York because that's you know where my family is and like all my best friends are. Um, you spent an entire year in Japan. That's great. That's amazing. I was there for three years. Wow. Yeah. And yeah, like my visa was going to run out and I kind of wanted to break up with my boyfriend who I was living with. And yeah, so I finally decided, you know what, I'm just going to go back to New York. So I went from being this like, you know, young working woman, like 
living with my boyfriend and like, you know, professional job to come back to New York and I'm suddenly like single, unemployed, broke, living with my mom and I felt so happy <laughs> because I was back in New York City and I was back in Richmond Hill and my sister took me to um, like the Target first Saturday party at the Brooklyn Museum. Mm, those are fantastic. Yeah, and this was 2007 and I was like, oh my God, it's a party in a museum. This is amazing. And like every day there were like all these fun activities to choose from, like, you know, a concert in a park, a movie in a park, a lecture at a library and like all these things that were really fun, but also like educational and culturally enriching and that I could enjoy even though I was broke because they were free. So I was really excited about all these public programs because I was like, these things didn't exist. Like they may have existed, but not at the level that they're at now. And like, not with the richness and like, you know. So it's like you like, came back to a whole new New York. Yeah. Kind of, sort of. Yeah. And I felt like public programming is one of the very few ways that quality of life is improving for New Yorkers who Absolutely. don't have disposable income. And, course, and who don't have access to, yeah. to a, a lot of things that um, other people have. Yeah, yeah. So I felt like That other so people excited. take for granted. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's a better way to put it. Yeah, so I felt like I really wanted to be part of this. Like so how, 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 does that, how does this realization of public programming giving people access to to cultural richness that other populations of the city may take for granted. How does this lead you into the Bronx Museum three years, three years hence? I wanted to work in public programming, which is really different from what I had done before. So then I was like, I think I need to go back to school. And I got my master's in family and community education. Where did you go? Teachers College, which oh. is the education school of Columbia University. Oh, more fancy schooling for Bridget. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, my advisor there was a woman, Hope Leichter, who's this really incredible person who has done a lot of research into storytelling, the way that people learn from stories, how stories are fundamental to human cognition, how we think in terms of stories, and also how we like pass on like values and things through the stories that we choose to tell. And it's the perfect time for it because right at the time that you were getting your masters, 2008, mm -hmm. nine, the moth was just blowing up huge. Mm -hmm. And um, it went from like, one slam a month at the New Yorican mm -hmm. to like a slam a week and now it's just like an inter huge international organization that's known across the cosmos now. <laughs> yeah, and I think the moth is great. So yeah, so I guess when I was taking these classes and realized the incredible power that storytelling has to create connections between people to like build empathy, I realized storytelling was something I wanted to use in public programming. Mm. Um, and so I was interning at the Bronx Museum. They let me start a new public program. So I came up with the idea for Bronx Stories. And I um, asked Rick Patrick and Will Lee for help. Because now, they how did doing... you meet them? I think I met them through the Rubin Museum, because I was also interning at the Rubin okay, Museum. OK, so you had two internships. And yeah, I had mad internships. Because I God. wanted to work in a museum. And like that's how you get your foot in the door. So uh, Will Lee and Rick Patrick were incredibly um, generous and helpful and they gave me advice and we worked together like doing a pilot project of Bronx stories and they told me I had to work with Michelle Carlo and they recommended some other great people um, and so they do you know true stories personal narratives um, and 
Yeah, so I was doing Bronx stories at the Bronx Museum. I wrote my thesis on it, on the pilot project. It went really well. Fantastic. And, That's yeah. right. I, mean, I think I remember that. Yeah, and I loved it. And I was like, I knew that I was doing And yeah, like people would talk to me after the events and say things like, thank you for making the Bronx relevant for something other than violence and conflict. And like, this shows me the Bronx isn't that bad. And saying these things that like, really stuck with me because they articulated this feeling that I knew really well. Like being someone who grew up in an outer borough of New York City, um, and we just get this sense that, you know, the places where we live and that we call home are somehow less than or not really a part of New York City. Now you spoke of um, wanting to be a connector, of taking people uh, taking people from one neighborhood and connecting them with people from the same neighborhood or or the neighbors from a different neighborhood. Mm -hmm. um, is this what led to you founding the Five Borough Story Project? Yeah, after doing Bronx Stories, I was like, I love this and I wanna do it in Queens where I'm from. And I was like, I wanna do it in all the boroughs. So yeah, I the Five Borough Story Project was born from that desire. And so I had the idea that I wanted to do it for a while. And I was thinking about it and like, thinking, oh, should I start a nonprofit, researching how to establish a 501c3? And where were you working after your internships? Ah, so Work were done. I, for a while, so I graduated, and then I worked part-time at the Bronx Museum and the Rubin Museum, which was a stressful situation to be in because museum pay is really low, even for people who have masters, and like having two part-time jobs, I didn't have health insurance, and it, I loved what I was doing, but it was really stressful and not sustainable. Um, so a job opened up at Teachers College, which I had had a work-study job there when I was a student. And my old boss contacted me and was like, do you want to work here? And I was like, you know what? Health insurance? <laughs> yes. So then, Isn't that amazing how our, how our decisions are, are made and, yeah, and how devalued cultural education is? I mean, not, not, not that the museums were paying you so little by choice. I'm mm -hmm. sure that, that's, that had they had more budget to pay, then they would have paid you. I, yeah. At least I, I, I will have the conceit of thinking that way. Yeah, well, there's definitely way too little funding for the arts and cultural yes. organizations. Yes, yes. Um, so, so, okay, so you're working in Teachers College, and yeah. you have this burning desire to found an organization that uses stories to connect neighbors with each other all through New York City. Yes, and, and I didn't know how I was going to start it, and then I was contacted by Michelle Carlo. Who, okay, full disclosure, um, I have a friend named, we both have a friend named Heather Quinlan. Hello, Heather. And in 2013, Heather, or Heather, um, had just completed f filming a documentary about the evolution of the New York accent, the origins and the evolution of New York accent called Knishes. If these Knishes could talk, uh, the New York accent documentary. And it was going to premiere at the Art of Brooklyn Film Festival. And Heather and I came up with the idea of doing a storytelling event in each of the five boroughs of New York City, because I used to do a storytelling show called It Came From New York, mm -hmm. where I had all native New Yorkers. And I said, well, we could do an event, one in each borough, and then that could lead up to the film debut at the Art of Brooklyn. But how, I don't know how to do all this. How am I going to do this by myself? And then, I know who could do this. Bridget Bordellini. So 
I introduced you to Heather, and the rest was history, kind of. Yeah. That was the initial Five Borough Story Project, project yeah. wasn't it? That was the launch of the Five Borough Story Project. And, and it we was did called Talking to- Here. Yeah. So, yeah, I was, like, at my day job and just, like, dreaming up the Five Borough Story Project, but I felt really scared because I was, like, I never wanted to be an entrepreneur like and I didn't know how to do it and then so I was kind of like putting it off out of fear and then you contacted me and you're like hey you need to know Heather and like her documentary is premiering and I was so excited by you know the idea behind the documentary because I love the New York accent which is dying and you had this amazing idea to do storytelling series in all five boroughs and I was like I love it I want to do it and so that gave me the impetus like the push that I needed to finally launch the Five Borough Story Project. So it was the cream in your coffee. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, we, act, we actually called it, I'm talking here, T-A-W-K-I-N. Yeah, storytelling with a New York accent. It was in five consecutive Wednesdays. Yes. In all five boroughs. That was so much work. It was so it hard was to schedule. It was insane. And yeah. I had my full-time day job. You had yeah. a full-time day job. Heather had a full-time day job. Yeah, so we were all doing this like in our spare time. I remember I slept so little and I was so nervous. And like all that I did at those events was like introduce like what the program was and then introduce No, you. and then, then I had and to then, take it from there. Yeah, 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 yeah then yeah. you hosted it and we had storytellers from the borough. But it was but, an amazing diverse cast because it wasn't just storytellers. We had poets, we had rappers, we mm-hmm. had um, yeah. musicians. We Each had... event had stories and song, a song, a musician with songs about the neighborhood. And we had, we had a... The f- borough. We, for the Queens one, we had Cambry Cruz. We had a fireman from, from uh, that, that talked about the recovery of Hurricane Sandy. Yeah. It was just such an amazing... And so soon. Yes, yes, and yes, so soon, who yeah. was on a previous uh, episode of uh, Fish Out of Agua. And uh, so many people that I'm still in contact with today. Mm-hmm. And that... We didn't even... I don't even think any of us realized that that was the launch pad of, of what it ended up becoming. So why don't you talk a little bit about what the Five Borough Story Project has become? Well, it has continued evolving. At those events, we didn't have any budget. <clears throat> no. We just passed around a bucket for donations, and we split it between all the storytellers, the photographer, and the organizers. And yeah, since then, the Five Borough Story Project has grown a lot. So yeah, in the beginning, I think my focus was more on like doing fun, entertaining events, right? That like were like building community through sharing stories that had to do with New York City history because I grew up like in a family that was super connected to my neighborhood where our family stories were like intertwined with the stories, the history of our neighborhood and the city. And, you know, lots of people move here when like after college and they don't have a grandma like telling them the way things used to be. So, Yeah, I wanted um, to make it, like, our recent history more accessible to people. And I also really wanted to do things in neighborhoods like Richmond Hill. Because public programs, like everything else in New York City, are not distributed equitably. And for me, I was, like, having so much fun going to these public programs, but it always meant enduring a long train ride to Manhattan or Brooklyn. And I was like, fuck that. Like, why can't I do things in my own neighborhood? And as I kept doing the programs, I became more intentional about how I curated them and like how this can be a platform for people to get important messages out. So I started like working with more community organizers and activists because I really wanted those stories to be amplified. Um, And uh, we get 
funding now, although it's a very shoestring budget, like just to cover our costs and pay all our collaborators. That's fantastic. But and who is in the Fibro Story project besides you? It's me and people I partner with oh, okay. for each program that we do. Oh, okay. So it's so, basically just still you, but whoever you're with at the time. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm the common element between all of them. But like, it's partnerships are really crucial. Like the Five Borough Story Project couldn't like go into neighborhoods without partnering with uh, people and organizations who know them the best. Who are some of the organizations that you've partnered with in the past five years? Ooh. That's going to take too long. <laughs> okay, well, let, 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 talk, talk about uh, one of the, the ones that just pops to the front of your mind that was fantastic okay. or unexpected. Well, this past year, um, I had a partnership with a grassroots organization called Queens Neighborhoods United that's fighting gentrification in the neighborhoods of Jackson Heights, Elmhurst, and Corona. Um, and we had a really in-depth collaboration. I've been working with a lot of groups that are fighting gentrification because I feel like that's something, gentrification causes me a lot of anxiety. I want me and my family to be able to stay in New York City. And so, yeah, I feel like that's a very important issue to organize around. What do you hope and dream of the Five Borough Story Project becoming as it grows? Hmm, I want it to become bigger and it can't grow that much if it's just me. So I dream of having like leaders in each borough who are like working together and producing those programs. I don't want it to be just me. One of the your pet projects is called the Love Letter. Uh -huh. You've done Richmond Hill Love Letter. You've done South Bronx Love Letter. You've done Lower East Side Love Letter. You've done Jackson Heights Love Letter. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the idea behind the Love Letter? Yeah, that basically grew from Richmond Hill and my feeling that Richmond Hill is a neighborhood that doesn't get enough love. And I was like, what if we just That's true. Did a lot something? of people don't even know what Richmond Hill is. Yeah, and there's a lot of neighborhoves like in the outer boroughs and even in Manhattan that just don't get the love like the they heights. deserve. Yeah, that people act like, oh, that neighborhood is far. That neighborhood's boring. There's no reason to go there. And people like me, even though I really loved Richmond Hill, I internalized that message that making it means getting out. Which, like, as a smart kid, people are always like, oh, you're going to be successful, you're going to make it out of here, you're going to go somewhere better. And with the Five Borough Story Project, it basically grew out of me asking the question, what if instead of focusing on getting out, we had more opportunities to appreciate and to build on what we already have here? So with the neighborhood love letters, that's kind of what I'm doing. Like, just to show love for your hood and, like, to connect with other people who love it. And to think about the things that make it great, but not only like, you know, looking at it through rose-colored glasses, but also thinking about the concerns we have and our like wishes for the future of the neighborhood. Um, yeah, and using like our recent history to give us ideas for alternatives to the way that things are now and help us like imagine new futures. Um, so yeah, the first love letter series that I did was in my home neighborhood of Richmond Hill, which was, really felt wonderful. It was challenging because it, Richmond Hill, you know, is not a neighborhood where you see like So it was programs. like it was like how Bridget came home. It's like you yeah. it's like it's like you're like the prod, the prodigal daughter. You left Richmond Hill, you mm -hmm. got so much and then you came back and you gave back. And if I hadn't gone to Ohio and Japan, I think I wouldn't have I wouldn't love New York as fiercely as I do now. So you had to leave New York to love it. Yeah, to more. appreciate it, to like be aware of things that I had just taken for granted. Like, I totally took diversity for granted. You go grow up in Queens and, yeah, you think, 
everywhere is like international and um but yeah it wasn't until I left that I really saw and appreciated New York City. So what do you have coming up for the Fibro Story Project? Each month this summer we're gonna have a Bushwick Love Letter workshop. So and you're gonna be focusing on Bushwick for the summer? Yes. That is fantastic. Yeah and then we're planning to have a culminating celebration with um, storytelling poetry and music performances inspired by Bushwick and that's gonna happen in the early fall and do we have the do we know the exact places yet that, that where it's going to happen or not yet not yet but our main collaborator is mayday space oh okay i've yeah, heard of them they're fantastic they do fantastic work they do and a lot of anti-gentrification work it's a movement space for mm -hmm. you know different cultural organizing and social justice movements so we're gonna be doing some programs with them that is fantastic so when people want to that is just no, that's not just, I'm just saying that's fantastic. No, that is just like friggin' amazing. How, like seriously, I'm gonna say this again. You're like the prodigal daughter. You who took so much and got so much from Richmond Hill when you were growing up, you left and then you brought it back to give back like double, triple what you got. That, I just think that's just so amazing. I just wanna hug you on the air, but I'm gonna wait till the end of the show. Where, where do you see the Five Borough Story Project in five years? I hope that in five years, I'll be able to quit my day job, do it full time and have more sustained programs. Like I would love for our love letter programs to be something that happens like, you know, continuously like sustained programming. So you can hire people. Yes, I want to have money <laughs> to hire people and to pay myself. And perhaps we could even work together again. Oh yeah. That, that would be so lovely. Aww. So if people want to learn more about the Five Borough Story Project, or if they want to maybe <clears throat> donate, how can they do so? People can find out about us on our website, fiveboroughstoryproject.org. Five is spelt F-I-V-E, Borough is B-O-R-O, -O, Story Project. Um, and we're on all social media and... You're, you're on IG? Mm-hmm. And, and what's the handle there? At Five Borough Story Project. Okay, and Twitter? At Five Borough Stories. And uh, Facebook? Yep, Five Borough Story Project. Okay, so you so just said, that's good. You have continuity. Yes. Oh, and my our, God. You can contact us through the website. Okay. And so, join our mailing list. So yes. you can find out about our upcoming events in Bushwick and other places throughout the five boroughs. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. So Bridget, um, in closing, I ask everybody at the close of our chat, if you had any advice or encourage or a word of encouragement to give to a child who wants to be something more than what is expected of them or what they see around them and doesn't see how they can make things better for themselves, what would you tell this child? I would encourage them to experience getting out because I think it's incredibly valuable to have those cross-cultural experiences, um, to see different places and different ways of being. Um, but then I would encourage them to come home. And I really had the experience of not fully appreciating home until I left. And I have faith that other New Yorkers would feel the same way because a lot of times when you leave New York, you're like, Damn, this is what <laughs> this is what's out there. I want to get back to New York City. We're really lucky to grow up in a place like this that's so vibrant and beautiful and sometimes brutal and horrible, but such a special place. I really think that as long as New York continues to um, spawn people like you that have so much love and desire to 
keep us vibrant and alive, New York can never go too far wrong. Oh, thank, thank you, Michelle. Thank you so much for being a fish out of agua. Oh, Woo! Hug on the air. We <laughs> always end with a hug on the air. Oh, oh. long hug. <laughs> Woohoo! No es fácil, pero siempre igual sobrevivimos, vengo yo. De tanto luchar, siempre con la nuestra nos salimos, vengo yo. De aquí se habla mal, pero todo está mucho mejor, vengo yo. Tenemos la lluvia, el frío y yeah. el calor. De la zona de los rapis, mami, papi. Tenemos problemas, pero andamos que a pie con farsa. También bailamos salsa y bajamos el río en balsa. El calor se siente. Y no hay problema para tomarse su botella de aguardiente. Eh, hace el día este soleado, te la pasas en Guayabao. Todo el mundo toma whisky, Ajá. todo el mundo anda en moto, Ajá. todo el mundo tiene carro, Ajá. menos nosotros. Ajá. Todo el mundo come pollo, Ajá. todo el mundo está embambado, Ajá. todo el mundo quiere irse de aquí. No es fácil, pero siempre igual sobrevivimos, vengo yo. De tanto luchar, siempre con la nuestra nos salimos, vengo yo. Y aquí se habla mal, pero todo está mucho mejor, vengo yo. Tenemos la lluvia, el frío, el calor. ¿De dónde vengo yo? Sí, mi señor. Se bailan verbena con gorra y con chor, con raros peinados o con extensión. Critique mi amigo, lo critico yo. Si tomo cerveza, no tengo el botín. Y si tomo whisky, hay chavo y blin blin. Y si tengo oro en el cuello colgado, ay, 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 el por qué estoy montado. Todo el mundo toma whisky. Menos nosotros, Ajá. todo el mundo come pollo, Ajá. todo el mundo está embambado, Ajá. todo el mundo quiere irse de aquí, Ajá. pero ninguno Ajá. lo ha logrado. ¿De dónde vengo yo? La cosa no es fácil, pero siempre igual sobrevivimos, vengo yo. De tanto luchar, siempre con la nuestra nos salimos, vengo yo. De aquí se habla mal, pero todo está mucho mejor, vengo yo. Tenemos la lluvia, el frío, el calor. Hey, acá tomamos agua de coco, lavamos en moto. Todo el que no tiene anda en rapimoto. Carretera de esta papa viajar. No hay plata pa' comer, hey, pero sí pa' chupa. Característica general, alegría total. Invisibilidad nacional e internacional. Autodiscriminación sin razón. Racismo inminente, mucha corrupción. Monte Culebra, máquina de guerra. Desplazamiento por intereses en la tierra. Subienda de Ajá, la quita, San Pedro, te quita el disfraz. Chaio, cuando tú y mina, ajá. 
cosa no es fácil, pero siempre igual sobrevivimos, vengo yo. De tanto luchar, siempre con la nuestra nos salimos, vengo yo. Y aquí se habla mal, pero todo está mucho mejor, vengo yo. Tenemos la lluvia, el frío, el calor. We're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. You just heard De Donde Vengo Yo, Where I Come From, by the Colombian hip-hop group Choquip Town, and that came from their uh, Oro album in 2010. And there was a little bit of elevated train thrown in, just for you, Bridget, just for you. A couple of announcements before our time together comes to a close. I'd like to let, tell you a little bit about uh, what you're listening to, Radio Free Brooklyn. Radio Free Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose mission is to provide a free and open platform for our community and to promote media literacy, education, and free expression, amongst other great things. And we rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. So if you'd like to support our mission and support living artists, and so we can continue to bring you quality community radio, we invite you to make a one-time donation or a monthly pledge at radiofreebrooklyn.org forward slash donate. You could donate as little as a dollar, and every cent helps us to continue to stay on the air. So please help support independent community media and support living artists. RadioFreeBrooklyn.org forward slash donate. And if you'd like to learn more about Radio Free Brooklyn, you could subscribe to our monthly newsletter, Radio Free Brooklyn. Every month, we'll send you the latest news about new programming and upcoming events, as well as interviews, ticket giveaways, special offers on swag, and more. The emails only come once a month because we are committed to a spam-free world. You can sign up at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org forward slash newsletter. Well, kids, that's our show. Stay tuned for Brooklyn Bandstand next, and we're going to close with another one of Bridget's picks for this episode, a song called New York by Ja Rule featuring Fat Joe and Jada Kiss. Wow, that's pretty much of a hip-hop uh, triple, triple, triple hat trick there. All right, kids, see you next week. Woohoo! I got a hundred guns, a hundred clips, nigga, I'm from New York, New York. I got a semi-automatic that spits next time if you talk, you talk. I got a hundred guns, a hundred clips, nigga, I'm from New York, New York. I got a semi-automatic that spits next time if you talk, you talk. And I know Y'all niggas is pussy Punani, Vagina, your monologues getting tired Now it's time to ride and print this You fire, you no longer desire So take off them silly chains, put back on your wire I'm on fire Holly dipped in Octane Let East Coast bang, let West Coast bang And rule gon' bring the ghetto gospel To every hood possible Pushing through in the sky blue Back with the guard you now Preferably the four pounds Slugs flying at the speed of sound Trying to catch the ears of niggas that's running their mouths I might get my Brooklyn nigga 
dogs are running your house I don't really understand what the running's about But we hunt cause we take pride in air And I pray out, leaving them laid out dead And just the spark, cause we ain't playing Up here in New York I got a hundred guns and hundred clips Nigga, I'm from New York New York And you can tell the way the homies spit That nigga, I'm from New York New York I got a hundred ways to make a grip Yes, I'm from yes. New York, New York, and you can tell I get real ignorant, this nigga, I'm from New York, New York, and this is how we do, nigga, I can see the coke in your nose, this ain't a movie, even he got his head blown on the globe, and I was just about to find God, but now that Mace is back, I think I'd much rather find a Menard, and everybody talking crazy how they AK spit, but we don't disinvestigate, and they ain't spray shit, not me, I'm a truth, homie, got the industry shook like, nah, nigga, Joe, gon' let him loose on me, truth story, I'm bringing the team back, even Roy Jones was forced to lean back, my nigga Dre said crime cook, now we killing them hard, nigga said I must have found puns rhyme book, got bitches on top of the phantom, and the pinky got bling like the ring around Saturn, cook cup crack, niggas fiend for that, and you already know the X is where the team be at, oh man, yeah, nigga I'm from New York, New York, yeah, rough riding deep blocking shit, nigga fuck what you thought, you thought, can't take shit for granted, cause life is too short, too short, yeah, got a hundred guns, a hundred clips, uh, nigga, I'm from New York, uh, and this yo, is how I we do, couldn't be sweeter, life's a bitch, depending on how you treat her, you might get rich, it's guaranteed you gonna die, and you might get missed for maybe two or three hours till they light they splits, and that coke could get you a long time, but when I let them know the dope is out, it's like America online, wise is awoken, and you know they say that you deserved it whenever you die with your eyes open, I still hold a title, cause I'm in the hood like them little motorcycles, stick up kids hopping out with the old rifles, just doing shit for nothing, it's so spiteful, I'm just like you, the word that niggas wanna murk you is in the air, a double shot of yak and the purple is in the air, and I'm not cocky, I'm confident, so when you tell me I'm the best, it's a compliment, I got a hundred guns, a hundred clips, nigga I'm from New York, New York, rough riding deep blocking shit, nigga fuck what you thought. You thought, and you can't take shit for granted Cause life is too short, too short Got a hundred guns, a hundred clips Nigga, I'm from New York And this is how we do